politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So I was reading that people are concerned that Putin's going to be interfering in the upcoming elections again, just in retaliation for our uh, helping fund Ukraine. I know I am. Putin basically would like to mess with our elections because that's what he does. I was going to say, he's like the, the, he's just like that ad you're always quoting, you know, that's just what he does. It's Putin. It's what you do. <laughs> so, 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 you know, and I, I think like it, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. We're going to see it again. The question is, will people see through it this time? And I don't think they will. Well, the issue is that there are so many people out there that are spreading disinformation as it is. I mean, how many people do you have who are election deniers running all over the country in elections, including for secretary of state in a number of states? So any disinformation that comes in to undermine public trust and confidence in the elections, we're doing it ourselves. And Putin is kind of stoking all of yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's you're right. It's it's almost like, you know, the disinformation works the same way that COVID works. And we really should just, have, the Times should start running a map of, you know, disinformation, uh, you know, intelligence deaths are happening. You know, we had 15% increase in, in death of reasonable responses to the world as it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things that they uh, used to great effect in 2016 was just by creating fake news outlets. And that, that's not fake news in the uh, sense of Trump. They would literally just create a Twitter account for something called like the the Portland Gazetteer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that didn't actually exist. Well, that's yeah. like the L'Oreal commercial. Two people tell two people, tell two people, tell two people. And all of a sudden your TV screen is filled with people. Are you a L'Oreal person, my friend? I was a while back oh, in my L'Oreal days. You're so beautiful. Good for you. Ah, it's baby skin. Ba- baby skin. Baby skin. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, we're for sure going to see people claiming that voting machines were hacked and all the rest of it so that, you know, we just create a insecure environment. You know, and that is, is true. And I know you really believe this because you did a lot in the realm of election security and cyber. Cybersecurity is finally a societal thing that can affect the way an election goes, the way a country is run, the way that, you know, the Federal Reserve sets interest rates. It can really destabilize things if it's not working right. No, cybersecurity is national security. Yep, 100%. And and we have to realize the fact that cyber education has to start from the bottom up. It can't trickle down. So it's got to start with young people who then do everything they can to protect their families, because in protecting families, you're protecting businesses 
And if those businesses are involved in either the election business or in anything involving national security, they're actually protecting the country. So this is one where we're all in this one together. Business, consumers, media, government, we got to work together and we continue, we have to continually up our cybersecurity game. So on that note, welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam, cyber poisonous cheesecake. I'm Bo, cyber antidote. And I'm Travis, cyber non-committal rookie. <laughs> and today we welcome back cybersecurity expert, Adam Burley, to hear why no one, no one is safe online. All right. Well, we'd like to welcome back to the show our good friend, Adam Burley, who is a cybersecurity expert. The last time we spoke with him, we were talking about a client of his who was suffering through a dark side ransomware gang incident. If there weren't any machines that were still infected, it couldn't spread further. We were killing machines and, and rolling them back with backups and that kind of thing. And, and, and this may surprise you that our client decided that they were going to go ahead and have us monitor and install antivirus on all of their computers across their networks, coincidentally, right after this happened. Adam, to refresh our audience's memory, tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're talking to us from. Sure. So I'm coming to you from my sunny basement in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and I work for a consulting company that provides IT for other companies. And we also help companies just come to us and say, fix this problem. Uh, I work primarily in the veins of Office 365, but generally um, security as relates to networks and basically computers, which is basically our entire world now. So you are actually the guy that guys pretend to be when they're scamming other guys. Yeah, that does make phone calls kind of hard sometimes, actually. <laughs> For the benefit of those who are not particularly written into Office 365 for Microsoft, tell people what that is. Office 365 is, I think the official term is a productivity suite. Most people have had some experience with having a like a, a Gmail account and it has all the docs and all of that kind of thing. It's like that, but for business and it's in the Microsoft world. Microsoft also offers it for individual people, Outlook.com or Hotmail, if you're our age or older. Adam, what do you mean our age or older? I mean like mid-20s, mid-20s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that is that does describe me. <laughs> Certainly emotionally that describes you. Yes, completely. And I'm there I'm there with you. I I was going to say, my friend, you're right by my side. Totally. My I have a 10-year-old who's raising me and it's uh it's very difficult work for you. Microsoft 365 invented something that changed my life. Can you guess what it is? They might, they didn't, maybe they didn't invent it, but they introduced it. And when I noticed it as a button I could push, it changed my life, productivity wise. The reply all button? <laughs> no, sir. That would make it less productive. Travis, do you have a guess? I have nothing. Yeah. Okay, Adam, what about you? Hmm. Is it the remind me in five minutes button? You might get calls about this saying, I can't blank. My, my, my word, you know, word is doing this and I don't know how to make it stop doing this. What is it? I'm, I'm really at a loss. You got me. 
Well, you know what it is? I bet you I'm totally misunderstanding what you do for a living. So what it does, what I'm talking about is the focus button. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Gotcha. The focus button. So I like a button that you can push that makes Adam disappear. Yeah. Yeah, no, not Adam yeah. Burley, Adam Levin. I mean, just Adams in general. <laughs> Why would you want me to disappear? I, Sometimes I, I got to focus, man. And you're just like, you're like, you know, you're like one of the knights who say knee. Knee. <laughs> <laughs> So when one of your clients gets attacked, are you the guy that they call? Well, they, they, they call the office and then the office goes, this is for you. Um, but yes. What exactly is your role? What, how does Microsoft 365, small to medium businesses and you combine? What, what is your daily life like? What kinds of things are you doing? Well, I mean, as I'm sure all of you know, uh, email is business in this modern world. Um, and Microsoft 365, Office 365, part of that is email. Um, but it also has uh, documents, um, OneDrive, which is you know, synchronization of your files, and SharePoint, which a lot of people are at least familiar with the name as being kind of where company files go, um, and then lots and lots of other things all kind of tie into that system. So it's becoming where businesses get their work done, basically. You know, 20 years ago, it was a server that sat in the closet. Now it's in a lot of cases Office 365. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing your uh, role isn't just to uh, take phone calls and say, this is where the focus button is. Is it more about uh, incident response for cybersecurity incidents, or is it just kind of making sure that someone's uh, configured correctly to avoid that? Or It's a lot of architecture. So it's a lot of looking at an environment. Um, you know, what I was doing before I got on this call, in fact, is I was digging through an environment uh, for someone that we've just taken on and trying to understand how they were using their email so that I could build rules and policies as part of the features of Office 365 to keep them protected. Um, you know, it's a big, big suite of tools with lots of different features, thousands and thousands of them, many that relate to security and they're always changing. I would say the vast majority of the cases when a client comes to us or a company comes to us and, and is looking for help when I'm going in there, it's just it's a very long laundry list of recommendations that I'm making um, that are often individually small changes, but add up to a big effect. So there's a lot of that, I'm, you know, and I do a lot of development work trying to set up. I have some test Office 365 so that I can break without breaking our internal one um, or clients. And so I'll go in and I'll test different configurations. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose has got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. 
Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash ADAM. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. So recently, uh, last year or so, uh, we had a, a client sign on to us, um, call them the very big corporation of America. They're pretty good sized as companies that we serve go. And the first thing that we did with them was, uh, we migrated, which is to say we moved their email for one of their subsidiary companies from another service to office 365 for email. That's a very common thing that we do for companies. And as part of that, when I, I set up the tenant, so I actually create the tenant. There's a few steps that you go through, add their, you know, their very big corporation of America.com domain name to it, set up my company's standards, by which to say my standards, because I'm the one that wrote them in terms of the baseline of security and things like that. We lumped their email in, got everybody set up, all good to go. Then the very big corporation of America said, we bought these other four companies. Could you move their stuff into here too? And we said, sure. And they said, can you do it in a month? And we said, no. And then they wrote us a bigger check and we said, yes. <laughs> uh, so what does that involve? Why is that? So I would think you just flip a switch and the emails move. That's not quite the case, I'm guessing. So how does it work? Why does it take so long? So from a, from a purely, I need to send you an email and you need to get it perspective, it's actually that easy. Yes. The hard part is when you have 15 years of email starting back from the dark ages of the internet and all of that has to come along too and you have a bunch of different users and all of their information needs to come along and their contacts need to come got it and got it that's in, that's daunting yeah there's a lot of steps in and you know we don't want to interrupt people's day they need to make money to make money they have to be able to use these tools so this is typically a process that happens before and then there's a cut overnight when everything gets slapped over and that two minute process we discussed happens. And then afterwards, basically making sure everybody's stuff is set back up on the new system. So you're in assuming that everybody is not in box zero. Right. So you've got a complex, complex environments you're in. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Rarely, rarely can we even get people to buy into, uh, you know, 24 months expirations on, on stuff. So inbox zero would be lovely, but the unrealistic, unfortunately. Um, so the, the, the difficulty there, there's a little bit of difficulty on the beginning, not to get too far in depth here, but there's a little bit of difficulty in the beginning in terms of you have to figure out of this list of mailboxes that you've now found, 
how many of those actually belong to human beings still versus, oh, Sally left the company 15 months ago. We just never got rid of her mailbox. Um, and you have to chase down everybody and find their phone numbers so that you can make sure that their phones work afterwards. All sorts of little nitty gritty details like that. So I have a project manager now who is amazing. And she did all of that legwork and attended all of the boring meetings that could have been an email and did all of the human being type of things. So all I had to do was the technical stuff. Um, so we got everything migrated in. Each of these four companies came with a previous owner, the guy that sold the very big corporation of America, their company, right? And and I, I don't know if you have ever been uh, through an acquisition. Uh, I went through two in two years, it wasn't fun. I'm sure lots of your listeners have been through them, especially when it comes to venture capital groups. You know, so we now have all of these companies kind of built in here. They're across the the country. They're in five or six states. They have uh, there's three or four hundred uh, employees in this Office 365 instance called the tenant, like an apartment building. So we've got these. There's about six or seven kind of owner co-owner type people that are in this this tenant, and there's still big wigs in their individual subsidiary companies, even though they don't own them anymore. And they have a tendency to be resistant to security. Most company owners are. I don't know why. Uh, and so they did the very absolute minimum. We did get them set up. They had multi-factor on their phone, push notification so they could sign in, um, which is where it makes your phone go beep, log in yes or no. Uh, so we were done. We finished that off. This very big corporation of America went off and they're apparently buying more companies. I don't know. And I was done. I, I moved on. I've got this other company that we're bringing on now. That's all tied up. I'm doing a 50,000 other things. So Steve, Steve, my coworker, got a ticket in and said, Bob is uh, sending emails to their company's HR trying to change his direct deposit info. But Bob didn't send those emails. It wasn't Bob. Yeah, so Bob got hacked. So Bob got hacked. He was compromised. So we'll refer to them as not Bob. Not Bob. Yes. Not Bob. But it, so not Bob was sending emails, but Bob was compromised. Bob was compromised. Bob, the actual previous company owner, was compromised. And and Steve, my coworker, got the ticket at first and shot me a message and said, hey, I got this ticket. What do you think of it? And I sent back, he's not been compromised. MFA has turned on his account. He's just, you know, set something stupid up and forgot about it. And, you know, whatever, just call him and try and figure it out. And I just immediately forgot about it. Moved on with my day. Two hours later, my CTO messages me and says, hey, did you hear that Bob's account got compromised? And I said, no. So Bob's account got compromised. And Bob's account had MFA turned on. For our listeners, just so they know, MFA does not stand for Masters in Fine Arts. It's a multi-factor authentication. Bob had, I was wondering if Steve was a sculptor or a painter or Bob that's, or whoever. Right. I just, I was confused. <laughs> Bob, well, that's right, Bob. Bob was a, a, an artist, but no, he's not. He's just a person who was using two-factor authentication. Yeah, and yeah. And basically everybody, every almost anyone working in a business environment now has run into this at least once. You've got mm -hmm. the little six-digit code thing on your phone, or you get a second text message, Facebook, Instagram, 
uh, uh, Twitter, they all have this now. And, uh, and if you're not using it, you need to go and turn it on because it is still the best protection your account can have. Well, without, without question, uh, our show has legions of guests who have lost Instagram accounts because they used old passwords and did not use multi-factor authentication. Now, there's ways to social engineer uh, two-factor authentication workaround, but I'm smelling something else here. Was this a, was this a social engineering thing? Did Bob just fall for, for somebody's smoke and mirrors, or did something more nefarious happen? So Bob, victim. Yes, you know, obviously, this is a big deal, especially because it's a fairly recent client. They're spending a bunch of money on us. How did Bob's account get logged into? Aha. Uh-huh. So right, because he's got MFA, he's got he's got two factor turned on. So unless they stole his phone, how did they get in? You know, obviously, I spring into action and look up log files as one does when they spring into action. Uh, <laughs> it's just not as exciting as when you're a fireman. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I look at the, the log and it shows you like, oh, this person signed in at this time. This person signed in at this time. So, so, oh, so Bob signed in at, you know, 851 from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, which is not where Bob lives. And 851, it says prompts for multi-factor authentication. And then it says 851 multi-factor authentication approved. And they're signed in. In Pitts in Pittsburgh for sure. From a not, well, from a Pittsburgh connection. We don't But not know. but but not Bob using a VPN and somehow pinging from Pittsburgh. Right. This is definitely this is definitely a person other than our Bob. So, you know, let's just put a pin in this for one second because Adam, I don't understand why more companies aren't using a policy that states really clearly if bob is not in pittsburgh and bob logs on in pittsburgh shut everything down there so that's that's what's called geofencing which is when a connection will only allow you a website or a service will only allow you to connect if you're coming from a certain physical place Bingo and ding, 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 ding. And we have articles about geofencing on adamlevin.com. Why aren't people using it though? Well, it's, there's a couple of reasons. The first reason is it's not actually all that accurate, especially with mobile (laughs) phones, (laughs) (laughs) at least most implementations. So typically it uses what's called your IP or internet protocol address, which is the unique number that your internet connection has. Uh, there's a big list of them and the list has the approximate location of where that ip address lives in the real world so that's what geolocation services including geofencing typically use so in other words we should we should think of geofencing as a zip code there are some financial institutions that the minute you leave that zip code get worried Titchy. yes they get titchy right yeah so the 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 drawback of using an IP address to determine where you are in the world is that they move, they get bought and sold by companies. A lot of times they're in a not the correct place or have no place or have multiple places that they're tied to. And if you're using a service like, for example, Office 365, and you're using a connection from there to another service, 
you're going to show us coming out of Washington because that's where Office 365, a lot of their connectee servers are. And so there's a limited applicability to geofencing, which is not to say it has no value. It's just not a good primary layer when it comes to protecting your accounts. Are there any other methods other than by IP address to uh, geolocate someone? Um, so one of the methods that is now in preview in the Office 365 world, which I'm going to talk about because I know the most about it, is to use geolocation by your mobile phone's location because our phones all have GPS units in them and know where we are within three centimeters can tell how many times you go to the bathroom a day. My and mind would be really busy. <laughs> <laughs> the websites can't just go and get that data. Thanks. Right. So that requires an app on your phone. That we know about. That we know about, Adam. Come on. Uh, The Microsoft (laughs) uses their Authenticator app, which is a logical connection. But again, that only works if that person has that app, if it's on, if they're connecting from their mobile phone, if they're not, I don't know, sitting in their basement, stuff like that. So there's still certain limits. I don't have geofencing on my official list of recommend. Well, okay, I'm sorry. I do. But it's only to the country level. So if you go from Washington to Pittsburgh, it's still going to say you're in America. Okay, but let me ask you a question, Adam. So geofencing, is it also geofencing when I have an, for instance, let's say I have an app to play the lotto in a state where that's legal, and I cross over the state line into a state where that's not legal, and the app doesn't work? Yeah, same technology. Same reason why you can't log into the UK uh, Netflix from America. Same, and and uh, you may be thinking, aha, 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 aha. That's what I was thinking. Yes, yes. (laughs) And the answer to that is yes. Sometimes Uh, it depends on how smart the geofencing is and how aggressive it is. Let's say, and the bad guys. I mean, the bad guy Bob. The bad guy version of Bob. Got to give him bad a better Bob. name. Let's give him Bad Bob. I like that better. Bad Bob. Um, or McEvil. McEvil. Or Bob. Bad Let's Bob. just stick you with guys, Bad Bob. Guys, his name is not Bob. <laughs> You're confusing everyone. His name is not Bob. I'm not gonna, Bob. Okay. I, I'm putting my foot down because we have so many Bobs. It's like we're Can like. We call him Knob. Not Bob. Knob. Kind of like Knob. I like it. Actually. I like Knob. Okay. Yeah. Adam, so, do you like Knob? Knob is good. Okay. Right, Approved. Knob. knob it is. Okay. So Knob might not have been in Pittsburgh. He probably wasn't backed. He was probably in the countries that you think of. Although he could be in America. We're the number two, I think, source of these types of attacks in the world. So so he was in Liechtenstein. No. He might have been. <laughs> no, kidding. <laughs> kidding. Not one of the countries we think of, but okay. <laughs> and more than likely, Knob wasn't actually a human being sitting on the other side of that computer terminal, but a program that was doing it for them. So, but regardless... Knob put in Bob's username and password and was able to sign in even though Knob didn't have Bob's phone. How did Knob get in? Two-factor authentication is not all it's cracked up to be. Every piece of security has its flaws. And when you try to make something that's not impossible for normal people to use, you get more flaws. So Knob got in because Bob let him. Oh, Bob let him. Oh, Bob, Bob, oh. Bob let him in. The reason that that worked. So, so there, if you have, there's an attack against push notifications, which again is when 
you put your username and your password and your phone goes bing and says, do you want to log in? And you say yes. There's attack against those. There is an attack against that where basically the knob in that situation just keeps trying to log in. And the victim's phone goes bing, 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 until they finally get annoyed and hit yes, or they miss touch and hit yes, and then knob gets in. This wasn't that. He only tried once. Hmm. We tell our clients, most companies tell their clients, if you're if you get one of these little bings and you're not actually trying to log in, hit no. Yeah, right. And uh, and Bob insisted, insisted he had never gotten a pop-up login prompt uh, when he wasn't expecting it. He was only logging in normally. I don't think most people are lying, but it's not something that makes a big impact on your memory, you know? It's just a thing that you right. do 50,000 mm-hmm. times a day. You don't huh. pay any attention to it. But in this case, in this case... I'm pretty sure he was telling the truth. And I think what he did was he signed into a website with his Office 365 username and password. He got the pop-up prompt that he was expecting. He hit yes. He went and did whatever he was doing. And in the meantime, Knob got all of his information and was able to access his account. Was this like a phishing page, a fake login page for Office 365? I thought you couldn't do that with MFA. Isn't that the whole point of two-factor authentication? The bad guys caught up. And now they make, uh, there's actually a dark side of the internet company selling a whole platform for stealing credentials from people, including doing the MFA part. So this is phishing as a service, and it's MFA-capable phishing as a service. This is new. This is relatively new. Yes. This is, uh, there was a, so there was a proof of concept a few years ago by Kevin Mitnick. So so there's been a, the concept has been out there for a while, but this is the first time that we're seeing it in bulk, where it's not just being used against some C-level manager or somebody who's a high value target. It's just service that's being sold. If you have $500, you too can scam people out of their credentials, including MFA. I mean, I think one of the things with uh, MFA is that you're sending a text message directly to the recipient, or at least you're supposed to. So how do they manage to intercept it? Well, this isn't text. Um, text has its own weaknesses. Um, this is uh, through an app. So in, in Office 365 land, you have the Microsoft Authenticator app, and that is tied to your account. When you sign in and you're using this push notification, it sends it directly to the app. So there's not really any way to get in the middle of that. But... Because Bob was signing into a phishing page, when he put his username and his password in, it's on the phishing page. He hits submit. Knobs, this evil software that you can buy now, turns around and submits it to Microsoft as a sign-in, live, real-time. And then Microsoft, of course, comes back and says, well, Bob, you've got to do 2FA. I'm going to send you a push. So from from our victim Bob's perspective, he did what he normally does, which was username, password, approve the prompt on my phone. And in the background, Knob's software collected his username, collected his password. And then once Bob did MFA, because he thought he was signing into a real place, it doesn't just sign in. It takes, it signs Knob directly into the place where you add more multi-factor devices. Oh, okay. so it locks Bob out. It doesn't. Bob has no idea. 
he had oh, no just, idea. It just, it just gives are. another place. It just gives another option for doing it. Right. Gotcha. So because because Knob has Bob's password, it and he gets logged directly into the place where he can add another authentication device, he does. So now oh. Knob has Bob's username and password, and Knob can do 2FA now. This would be the part in Young Frankenstein when he shouts, It's alive! <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, it's terrifying. It's terrifying, yeah. I've spent the last four years telling people get MFA and then this comes along and it's pretty broken. So uh, but I mean, but you need you you need uh to be a pretty talented spearfisher to make this stuff work, no? No, no. If you have five hundred dollars in two hours, you can set up a platform. It's a service. It's just like signing up for for uh, a constant contact. It's probably easier than constant contact. Okay, so just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water. Yeah, it's, it is, it, this is the commoditization of hacks and, and stealing accounts where the, the people that make this super cool software that does this stuff, they're not attacking us. They just put it on a marketplace and they sell it to all these little groups and they say, buy my software as a service. $500, you too can scam granny out of $300. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means you get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So how did, how did this get resolved? What's the solution to this new cyber nightmare? Well, in, in Bob's case, um, you know, obviously we reset his password. We redid his MFA, pulled out all of the things that the knob had put in there to try and hide his malicious actions, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of, there's a whole other list for that. But long term, uh, there's nothing that keeps knob from doing it again, other than Bob maybe being a little bit more suspicious this time. There's a, a lot of it that just comes down to user training, telling people, hey, uh, when you look, click on a link and you think you're going to Microsoft, maybe make sure you're at Microsoft.com. 
there are some new technical tools that are being rolled out in response to this new platform that's being sold to help make it more visible, both when someone does a, a verification, what it's for, and then also to make it more visible to administrators and IT type people when this activity might be going on. So one of the, the new features that's in a, in a preview state right now, um, actually when it does the little bleep on your phone, it actually shows you a little map and says you are here. And that's based on that geolocation hmm. data. And so if you're signing into something and you think it's legitimate and you get a bleep and it says you're in Pittsburgh and you're really in Washington, maybe that might make you think twice about hitting yes. It also has an option that will tell you the app that you're signing into. So if you think you're signing into your Outlook and it says that you're signing into the password management page, again, try and try and give people more information so that they can make a good choice. So you're looking for the black cat in the matrix. Yeah. Just something, yeah. something, something that's a little, little bit off. off. Yep. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. you. And we're just trying, because again, you know, for most people, they get the prompt, they hit yes, they sign in. It's a very habitual thing. So by by giving them more information than a simple yes, no, we're now arming them with the ability to to, to hopefully make a better, a more correct decision. I won't say a better decision. I think uh, one thing I'm sort of wondering about here is that, you know, anyone in the uh, tech industry has been just telling lay, laypersons for a very long time now, like you need to have uh, multi-factor authentication enabled on your accounts. What should they be um, thinking now about that level of protection? I mean, at the end of the day, MFA is still better than not MFA. And for most people, especially outside of the world of business, your individual user accounts, you're probably not going to run into this that much. Um, they're targeting, you know, it's still a platform that costs money. There's only one vendor right now. So it has some limitations. They are being a little bit picky about who they accept because they don't want a bunch of people to sign up for it and then spoil the pot. But the, there, are, there are some tools that can help protect in general against uh, MFA targeting attacks. So one of them is what's called number matching, which is where instead of you just getting a belief of the yes, no, it actually will display a number on the, the screen. So I put my username and my password and I hit login. It says pull up your app on your phone and type this number in and it says 52. And then my phone says, put the number in 52, sign in. Yes. That helps to protect against that, that uh, login spamming attack that I talked about earlier, because regardless of whether or not I'm annoyed by all of these pop-ups, the fact that I don't have that screen in front of me means that I can't accidentally approve an attacker from getting in. Doesn't protect Bob though, because Bob was at a page and thought he was signing in. So he would have just put the numbers in. We really, really appreciate you sharing this with us. This is important information that certainly everyone in business should know. Once again, you've been incredibly helpful, and we can't thank you enough for joining the show. Yeah, um, you know, I'm glad to be here. It's It can feel like very dry material to talk about, but getting that panicked phone call from Bob, it, yeah. it's a... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely uh, something that's important and security, online security is just more and more important every day as more of our lives move online. Don't be a knob. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, Don't be, a, be knob. a knob. Or do. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you.
So Adam, this this seems to me like another story where if you are putting cybersecurity first and foremost, which does mean going slow and being incredibly annoying, you probably can avoid getting hacked, but you have to be really like pretty much thinking constantly the way you do. Oh, <laughs> well, it's true. That's true. You're, you, you think you're getting hacked when you're just going to the bathroom using an analog toilet. How did you find out about I that? I could just guess. I didn't know. Is there a digital toilet? I don't want to know if there is. There probably is. But we also know that even though we may not be the target, we may be the conduit to the target. So that's why we have to be careful too. Yeah, it's true. We could always be we could always be the, you know, the three-factor authentication. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> uh, Travis, can you send me that code? Sure. Thanks. I'm in. And as we know, every time you come up with a new protection, there's eventually going to be a way to get around it, to hack it. So that's why. People really have to stay vigilant. And if anything doesn't seem right, run. And if things even seem right, you got to stop and think about it for a minute. So, Adam, I think it's time for the tinfoil swan. Yeah, our paranoid takeaway that'll help keep you safe. Travis, why should people still use multi-factor authentication? It puts one additional barrier between yourself and hackers, is the uh, short answer there. If uh, someone happens to get your password and that's all that's protecting your account, then really that's not much of a defense. So by having a secondary means for, uh, even if it's just getting a text on your phone or even if just getting a little prompt saying, is this you, yes or no, that already makes you a significantly harder target than just a login password. Except I'm just gonna say for the rest of this tinfoil swan, getting texts to say, is this you, is a vulnerability once you're used to getting mm -hmm. them. So go slow. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, common method of attack now where uh, Adam actually referred to it, where you just get like a hundred of those prompts. And if you keep on saying no, 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 eventually you get impatient, just hit yes, and then the hacker's in. Well, one thing is for sure, I, I know myself that, that I will get some communications from some banks and I go, this is not real. And then, then I make a call to somebody I know at the bank and they go, uh, yeah, it's another account you have that you may have forgotten you had. And we are trying to tell you that you got to do something about that. I love it because you do go so slow. My my kids are so annoyed with me at this point because I get into, I'll get in touch with them because I also have transaction alerts set up on all of my accounts. And I will, last night, literally, I went and I got gas and then the charge came up and I texted my daughter Esther and said, Hey, what's AMG? What did you just charge? And she said, nothing, dad. And I realized it was me. Happens a lot. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. We really appreciate having you. We appreciate your support and we'd love a review. If you have an opportunity, uh, come rate us, review us and share the love with your friends. That also helps other people experience the love that you're sharing. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. It's produced by Andrew Stephen, the man with two first names. You can find us online at loudtreemedia.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin. <laughs>